Exclusive Books Homebrew is a celebration of the diversity that is local writing, covering fresh perspectives on history, sharing never-told-before personal stories, challenging established views, and excavating the trough of political policy. Exclusive Books Homebrew. Not the same old story. Today's episode of Homebrew is presented by author, journalist, and fearsome cruciverbalist, Jonathan Anser. Today's homebrew guest has written a gripping and gritty memoir about making his way in apartheid South Africa from his early childhood on a farm in Bosfontein to Blessbrook Street in Rotunda, a township in Heidelberg, the birthplace of the racist far right-wing organization, the AWB. Native Boy, Confessions of a Maplazini in the City by Tabo Abramolefe is a coming-of-age story about Tabo's journey in a country where everything is set up to make him, a young black man, fail. The education system, the apartheid bureaucracy, job reservation, people's attitudes. But despite this, Tabo doesn't fail. Native Boy is a sober account of one man's search for himself in a complex country. It's an honest book. It's an important book. It's a painful book. It's a poignant book. It's a powerful book. It's a book that must be read. Welcome to the Homebrew Podcast, Tabo. Can you please read us an extract from Native Boy? Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, I'm going to read from chapter 8, entitled The Road Not Taken, part 1. It begins thus. On the morning of my 15th birthday in November of 1990, a message came from the Van Aars that regardless of everything happening in the townships, my brother and I were to direct all of our focus and energies on our education. Over dinner, my mother handed me a thick, black, glossy book with a hardcover, saying that it was a gift from the couple. Of all the gifts that I had received from the Van Aars over the years, This book seemed the least straightforward. I looked at the book's freshly painted pages for a while, noting the absence of a narrative or a storyline. Finally, after eating, I took the book to bed, hoping that its secrets might somehow reveal themselves in the privacy of the dark spaces beneath my blankets. The book's title included the words, US Department of State, and contained the physical addresses, telephone numbers, names, and titles of contact persons in the foreign affairs departments, embassies, and consulates of countries listed from A to Z. I realized the fun intentions later when one of my first and best secondary school teachers, Mrs. Kidiboni Musomi, lent me a book. Mrs. Musomi left Ratanda in the late 1990s and later became the sergeant at arms of parliament. Earlier that week, she had asked the entire class to write an essay on how far each student wanted to travel on their academic journey. In my essay, I began by stating my full awareness of the serious business that education represented for both me and my fellow pupils. I wrote that, in view of this knowledge, my desire was to travel as far up and or down the road of education as I would be able to. 
Thank you. So this book, in a way, motivated you to be determined in your studying. And you are, at the moment, an independent consultant with qualifications in business and technology from three universities. And I just was curious about what does it feel to add author to your list of achievements? feels rather good in a subdued kind of way. Uh, because I actually, at the age, probably around the same age as this chapter that I read, around 15, 14, my brother had actually a friend who had a typewriter and we had been playing author on that typewriter. Obviously, you know, when you see the words in black and white that you've conceived, it felt uh, rather strange and, and powerful in, in a way, you know. And it is exactly at that time that my brother said, I think you can write well. And I think probably a couple of weeks, months later, a teacher said the same thing. So in a way, I've had still always at the back of my mind the idea of being a writer, but not so much officially, but someone who could write. So it is good, but in a very subdued kind of way. I don't feel that I've grown a new superpower or anything of that kind. (laughs) In your introduction, you explain that you decided to write the book after experiencing an ugly incident of racism in 2017. That incident reminded you of how your father had been denied opportunities. He died when he was young. I think he was 41 and you were also young. What would he make of your achievements? I think he'd be quite proud because, you know, my dad was very much a a staunch working class guy. Uh, very entrepreneurial in many ways. And one of the things about him is he, I mean, I mentioned it, I think, in the acknowledgements portion of the book, that when I was around four or five, he would actually give me an empty notebook and a pencil and say in Sutu, write, you know. And obviously being four or five years old, I wouldn't know where to start. But I think he'd be very proud because it looks like I have indeed followed through and I have indeed, you know, written. Yeah, I think he would be very, very proud. He cast a shadow over the book in a lot of ways. And when you wrote about how he was accosted by a member of the AWB in town, I was on the edge of my seat. How does one deal with the trauma and legacies of such profound racism? It's, it's quite difficult. Uh, in, in some regards, you actually, I think, maybe make a comedy out of it. Uh, in that recently we've been speaking, my brother and I, about how in the late 70s, early 80s, those acts of being accosted were quite frequent. Um, my father would be driving maybe on the N3 and um, maybe an elderly white woman of 62 or whatever would be driving along the N3 as well. And my mother and father would debate as to whether he should overtake, right? And we wouldn't understand why the decision to overtake should be such an onerous one, right? Until when I was older, I understood that he was afraid that if he undertook, that old white lady could actually effect a citizen's arrest of some sort because he could overtake and still be within the the speeding limit But those sort of things would happen. So in some respects, as I'm telling this story, you can see it's a little comical in some regards that you can't overtake an old lady because you happen to be black and you're driving your own car. So it takes quite some thinking to give it a place, you know, in in your psyche in a way, that kind of legacy and the things that would happen. 
And obviously, because I was young relatively at that time, perhaps dealing with it wasn't so much my duty as it might have been my parents. You do write openly about some unpleasant experiences with people like your former friend Vincent, who became very jealous of your success and tried to sabotage you, your uncles, who tried to steal your home. And there's a particularly ugly scene with your mother's employer, Maxi van Art, and one of her sons, Tom. I wondered if you had any response from any of the people you've written about. I have. Actually, the last particularly one is quite pleasant, I should say, because the Tom's younger brother is a gentleman called Piet van Art, who actually happens to be a doctor today at the University of Pretoria. A doctor actually in the Department of Writing there. No, University of the Free State. So I actually gave him a copy of the book to review and looked specifically at that chapter where that incident is, is actually mentioned. And he was quite unsurprised in some regards and actually mentioned that I agree, actually, those sort of things would have happened. And it was maybe actually a sign of the times. So him and me are actually on very good terms, I should say. Other people have written about probably the only person who uh, could say that <laughs> there hasn't been such a turnaround in terms of the relationship is the gentleman called Vincent there. Uh, the uncle, before he passed, actually uh, bequeathed all his uh, worldly goods to me, uh, Uncle Freddy. So he passed under good conditions or we were in good terms because I think, I think his behavior was much based on the competition between himself and my father. And me being the product of my dad, I think made him behave in some regards in the manner that he did. What was it like dipping back into your childhood and writing from your younger self's perspective? Quite pleasant in a way. Actually, I think of my childhood largely in very flowery and pleasant terms. Thinking about the, the long school days that we would spend playing uh, soccer, some of the incidents in my primary school days, and obviously into secondary school as well, just the township. I think as much as there are those incidents that I relate in the book that have quite a bit of trauma and negativity about them, I think on the whole, having lived in the township and grown there, I think, uh, yes, it was actually a pleasant experience in large measure to actually write as my younger self. And I was curious, you've written about all these people from your childhood. I wondered, for example, Vincent, if he had to write a, a memoir, how would you feature in his memoir? Probably not as favorably, because I think he also had a, he was somewhat older than me. And I think there's a context in why some of the things that happened between the two of us happened. Being older, seeing himself as someone from whom I would continue to be learning, gaining, and in other words, that script was flipped somewhat, right? So I think in his book, I would probably feature in that regard. He would have something to say about how he saw me as, as an individual. Probably there is a likelihood that I wouldn't feature as, as, as the good guy either. Did you ever establish who it was that told the police that there were drugs in your house? I did. And it's obviously a mystery of sorts, but I think the reader of the book, what I can say is that the characters, within the characters of the book, the person who did that is one of those guys. 
So it's not only a memoir, it's a whodunit as well. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like it. How did you remain true to your memories? You know, I'm very interested in this idea of memory and how we remember things and what is true and what we've reflected on that isn't true, but we've misremembered. And I just wondered, something I'm very curious about is how does somebody embarking on a memoir really know that their memory is true? I think one mechanism by which you achieve that trueness to your memories is to ask. Ask the other people who were there. For example, there's a chapter where I, I make mention of the fact that there were two sections of Rotunda, the Zulu side and the Sutu side. I stayed on the Sutu side. I actually asked one of my friends, do you remember that there actually used to be such a division on the basis of cultural and language background? And he, he didn't remember it. And the amazing thing is the greater percentage of people in Rotunda do. So, yes, I think in some regards, there can be misremembering. Uh, so, as I say, staying true to your memories, you should make a research kind of project out of it. Triangulate. Try to find out if people see or remember things as you did or indeed experience them as, as you did as well. What do you hope your book achieves? What I hope it does is to actually um, shine a bit of a lens or a light on how some of us grew up. Obviously, I think Soweto is a well-known um, township, and there are many stories coming out of it. I mean, we, we all know Villagazi Street and the Mandela and Tutu Houses, and I think that is how most people who don't come from those places see or, you know, have an, a way into uh, sort of those places. So I hope my book simply opens the door into how it was growing up in the township in the 80s and how that potentially makes one be what they are as an adult today. So I, I'm wanting to share a little bit about growing up in that time of transition and stuff. And now a question from an exclusive books reader. My name is Sinisimba Nzuza and I have a question for Tabo today. And it is, who should read your book? I think South Africans who are interested in the past and its effects on, on the present and potentially uh, how it, that past can be shaping of the future. So I think all South Africans of, of all stripes in that regard. But obviously, to the extent that I am black, it wouldn't hurt quite a bit if uh, non-blacks were to read the book. I mean, if they are interested in that kind of thing. Native Boy explores a young man's complex relationship with identity and race. The story is about Tabo Abram Molefe's journey dealing with macroaggressions and microaggressions as he escapes the socio-economic trap of apartheid. But it also uncovers the harmful consequences of a brutal system that denied black people opportunities and worked to destroy their self-worth. It would be a good thing if everyone read it. Thank you, Tabo. Thank you for this excellent book and for providing us with some insight. Thank you for listening to this episode of Homebrew. Do you have a question you'd like to ask our homebrew authors? Send us your question and you could win a 200 Rand exclusive books voucher if yours gets chosen. 
WhatsApp a voice note to 079-664-0465. That's 079-664-0465. Or email social media at exclusivebooks.co.za. To find out who our upcoming authors are, just follow Exclusive Books on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. This homebrew podcast was produced by Jonathan Anser, Dan Dews, and Lerato Sebanda for Exclusive Books. Books available in-store and online at exclusivebooks.co.za. Homebrew, not the same old story.